Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are glad that you could join us today. And if this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to Atlas Information, our weekly live live stream. <laughs> oh, it's been one of those weekends again, again. And uh, because it's been one of those weekends, we were inspired to speak about today's topic, which frankly is something which is generally very misunderstood, mostly because it's not talked about. And what versions of it you get are some sort of watered-down, uh, ham-fisted, soundbite-type explanations, which don't really address what's, uh, what's going on. And so, because of the uh, very serious potential consequences, of failing to digest our experience, to properly, consciously digest the impressions of life. And by digest, we mean transform them. And typically, this gets watered down into some form of explanation for or uh, rationalization for positive thinking that you need to transform the negative into a positive and find the bright side to everything and and as long as you stay positive and positive thinking positive thinking positive thinking but this is not an accurate representation of what the transformation of impressions entails, nor is it effective. Because as you know, if you have uh, mold on your wall, you can, you can paint over that mold. You can paint over it all you want with whatever color you want, but the mold is still there. The black mold will be there and it will continue doing what black mold does, which is eat away and rot from the inside out. And no matter how often you paint over it, it's still there and it will fester and it will cause 
a great deal of damage, a great deal of havoc. Because that's what it's designed to do. That's its job. Black mold is there to break down organic material into its component parts. Black mold is an agent of entropy, in other words. Something very similar takes place when we try to simply force positive thinking. When we encounter impressions in our life and we 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 gloss over them we we use what uh, is sometimes referred to as spiritual bypassing we avoid dealing with the negative and instead we impose a positive mental or emotional substitute without actually dealing with the negative underneath we brush that aside we repress it or suppress it or avoid it altogether and instead we we force this positive thinking but perhaps before we dive deeper into the uh, metaphysical science of that we may want to just refresh ourselves refresh our own for our own sake what exactly are impressions and one of the best descriptions that we've ever heard and one of the best ways in which uh, we feel impressions and the transformation of impressions can be explained is using the analogous phenomenon of food. Naturally, we all know what food is and what its purpose is. And we also know that we have an elaborate digestive system in order to process that food and extract from it the nutrients the sustenance, the energy, which we require to function and to survive, to live. And in the description of today's live stream, we began by asking the question, did your mother never tell you to chew your food? And why it is that we were told to chew our food and why in contemporary parlance, there's a movement towards slow eating and conscious eating. And consciously chewing our food and being present and mindful of what we are eating while we are eating it. And to assist our digestive system by properly and thoroughly chewing our food before we swallow it. So we are not sending huge chunks of barely bitten into, barely chewed, barely processed uh, food into our stomach and then into our digestive system because our stomach and our digestive system is not designed to break down large chunks of whole food. Our, di our digestive system, our stomach and, and uh small intestine and large intestine are designed 
to process food that has already been pre-broken down to a large degree in our mouth. That's why you have these, these wonderful things called teeth and molars. So chewing our food is something that we were all taught to do as children, and we were all told that we need to do. Because food that isn't, that we do not chew properly, ends up becoming a problem in our the rest of our digestive system. It's, it's difficult breaking it down. And in the same way, impressions that we receive through our five senses, but mostly our eyes and our ears and our nose, and to some degree, touch. But these are, uh, and yes, of course, taste. We're using the food analogy, so it kind of sort of goes without saying. But impressions are obviously not physical in the same way that food is physical, but they feed our consciousness. They feed our mind, they feed our emotions, and they feed our sensations. Our experience, in other words, our sensory experience is fed by the impressions that we take in to ourselves. In the same way that our physical body is fed by the food that we take into ourselves. So when we understand impressions as food, we can begin <clears throat> we can begin to appreciate the analogy between the digestive system and and the requirement to chew our food properly. In comparison with impressions. And the obvious question is then, do we chew our food do we chew on our impressions do we consciously and mindfully experience life and take in those impressions what exactly does that mean well there's many different definitions for mindfulness presence awareness uh, self-observation self-remembering one eye in one eye out um, but to be truly conscious and present and consciously chew our food, those impressions, it means to truly be present to and experience the transformation of that food into sustenance, into energy. And we taste the flavors, we experience the textures. And as we chew our food, and we are present to that experience, we are present to how that whole food that we put into our mouth is being transformed into something which is now usable, much more readily available to our body via our digestive system. We know what it is we are putting into our body. We have thoroughly examined it. We've broken it down 
we've thoroughly experienced the taste, the texture. Is it sour? Is it sweet? Is it savory? Is it spicy? Is it hot? Is it cold? And all the rest of it. That's just mindful eating. What about mindful listening? Mindful seeing? Mindful feeling, sense the energy, vibes that we get from other people? And mindful transformation of impressions which arise within our own self, within our own psyche. Thoughts, emotions, sensations. Those are also impressions. We experience them. We are not making those impressions. Those impressions are making us. We are being affected by them. Because we are in this body, we are not this body. This body is a three-dimensional spacesuit. So our consciousness, our being, can be here now in three-dimensional space, experiencing and having experience and having physical impressions requires a physical body. And a personality and a mind, and a, a mental center, an emotional center, the, the motor instinctive sexual centers of the physical body, and all of those produce reactions to stimuli. This is what science would call impressions from a physical biological standpoint, a psychological standpoint, or a neuropsychological standpoint. They would consider impressions like stimuli. And accordingly, they would say the body reacts and the mind reacts to stimuli. <clears throat> and we know about ourselves that there are obvious reactions to certain stimuli which we which are involuntary and we more or less have no control over for example if you suddenly encounter cold and you're blasted with cold temperature, then your body, in reaction to that stimuli of, of cold, your body may start to shiver. That's a natural, uh, automatic, physical reaction to that stimuli. On the flip side, you might step out of an air-conditioned building or an air-conditioned automobile and step out into 35 degrees centigrade heat. And all of a sudden, your body reacts immediately to the stimulus of a change in temperature, a sudden increase in temperature. And so what does your body do? Your body dilates its pores, begins to sweat. Because that's an automatic reaction to that stimuli automatic or instinctive another word for that is mechanical because these are factors of mechanical nature 
These are the physical body reacting to those stimuli. And those stimuli are impressions. But they are impressing themselves physically on the physical body. And so the motor instinctive sexual center is reacting accordingly, instinctively, and mechanically to that stimuli. Almost as if the stimulus is pressing a button or flicking a switch. Or something in the body gets turned on or turned off, as the case may be. In uh, sexual arousal, we even use that terminology. Whether or not someone turns you on or not, or whether or not that person, what they said or did, or or their uh, their their odor or their appearance or their attitude, their behavior, their vibe, whether that turns you off potentially. Whereas perhaps you were attracted to that person from afar and then you get close to them, but then something about them triggers a response, a reaction inside of you and you suddenly you get turned off. You no longer have any interest whatsoever in that individual. Each one of these interactions, each one of these stimuli is an impression of some kind. Visual, audio, 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 uh, scent, could be touch. And indeed, it could also be taste because something may look delicious. Someone brings you a a beautifully presented plate of food, whatever that may be. And it might have, might say, let's say it's a, um, a plate or a bowl of exotic fruits. And there are some fruits in there, bits of fruits, slices, pieces of fruit. You have no idea where they're from, what kind of fruit they're from. But they're so beautifully arranged and adorned that it, it just looks so palatable and so delicious. And then you start to eat. But as soon as that particular exotic fruit that you've never had before, and it might be some very obscure, um, it hits your tongue and, you, and, you're, and all of a sudden you are uh, confronted with a taste, a flavor, which is completely foreign, completely alien. And you might, your immediate reaction might be, what's that? And you might be immediately turned off from that, by that, by that fruit. We can recall a, uh, an episode from our childhood when our, we had an older brother and he liked to play pranks and, and jokes on us and, and whatnot. And, uh, we remember once uh, it was it was uh, at night and it was dark, um, and uh, he was eating some cheese, and we asked him if we could have some some cheese, some Colby cheese, um, like a sharp cheddar cheese. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." And then he he got us out a piece of cheese, and there was like, and he says, and I said, "What's that on it?" And he says, "Oh, that's ketchup. I put ketchup on it. I just put some ketchup on it for you." Okay. And I, you know, we bit into it and everything else, and we were suddenly shocked and alarmed, and and we reacted with with great uh, 
yeah, alarm because uh, he had coated it in Tabasco sauce. That red substance was not ketchup. We were expecting to have ketchup on cheese, and instead we were hit with that with that very hot, very spicy Tabasco sauce. And we were very young. We were I don't even know how old we were. We were certainly like maybe four or five. Um, and so you, you know you're not expecting that. And and it was quite a lot of Tabasco sauce in there. We took a big bite. So uh, it was we we were turned off of hot food for a long long time spicy food we couldn't we couldn't stomach it we couldn't we always we we would react to it in the same way it was not palatable to us we were turned off by spicy food for a long 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 time it wasn't until uh you know we uh uh we became a young adult that we once again were able to to have spicy spicy things um this is generally the case kids generally don't like really spicy things to begin with but but there's just an example of that impression was taste and we had and of course we started to cry and we you know we 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 began carrying on and stuff because we were we were afraid we were shocked we were we were alarmed we weren't expecting that and uh and then i know we were young because we were too we were too short to reach up and turn on the tap to be able to get water and um so we were we were crying and 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 screaming at our brother to des you know desperately to to get us give us some water and he was laughing and he was enjoying himself because he he was enjoying his prank on us. Um, but that's just an example of you know a young child failing to transform that impression. And of course we had panic and all, you know, we were crying and we were carrying on. We were, you know, we were, we were playing the victim and everything else. And, and we were, that became for us like a kind of mini trauma, which we carried for a long, 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 long time, uh, such that we couldn't even have, you know, spicy food until we were well into our, um, well into our late teens. And it was simply the body reacting to that spiciness with a certain um, physical and neuropsychological, neurochemical reaction, which we interpreted and we processed as pain, as suffering. Because we just went with whatever our fear whatever our ego was going with. We didn't know anything about transforming impressions. We didn't know anything about this. We were five. But impressions relate to food in that way. And that very often you can use your own experience to go back and retrospect on uh, situations where you've eaten something or drank something and and it, you were the the sudden interaction with that impression left you in in disarray in chaos your mind your emotion your body everything was like you know it's it's it, it was like a fritzing out 
was glitching out because of this sudden um some all this stuff was being the these mechanical uh, instinctive reactions were being triggered by that impression whatever that whatever that case may be surely all of us at some point in our life have uh drank something that was way too hot and we all know what that experience is like right burning the inside of your mouth or your, the tongue with something that's too hot and probably all of us have had some form of experience of let's say biting into ice cream or an ice cream sandwich or an ice cream cone or something and then we get that <clears throat> that's that sensitive to that that freeze on our teeth or on our molars right this week we have sensitive teeth we had that get that that shock the opposite again temperature but in the mouth and then we have that that uh, visceral uh, pain reaction. These sorts of experiences are universal. And to one degree or another, uh, they can affect us, but generally speaking, not long term because they're purely physical they affect the physical body and obviously the uh the the nervous system but generally speaking these sorts of impressions physical impressions they can lead to um trauma in the in the body so, for example, my, my uh, being turned off of spicy food and not being able to handle spicy food um, probably had a lot to do with the fact that I had that bad experience with spicy food. But I could equally go, turn to another uh, experience when I was again around five years old, give or take. And this is the first time that, that we went to Hungary. And we were uh, in Hungary's largest lake called Lake Balaton. And everybody was, uh, was time for lunch and everybody was gonna have fish and chips. And that's what they told me, it was fish and chips, fish and chips. I said, okay, fish and chips. But it was lake fish, it was some I don't know what kind of fish it was, but it was lake fish. But it was battered and fried. It just looked just like fish and chips. And I bit into it, and I started eating it. started eating it, and all of a sudden, my mouth was completely full of uh, fish bones. You know, the, the little, well, fish bones. It hadn't been filleted or deboned or anything it wasn't like when you get fish and chips in a pub or in a restaurant or whatever it's it's been properly filleted and it's been deboned and then battered and fried at the very least they could somebody could have warned me somebody could have told me hey listen there's bones in that so be careful but nobody told me i was i was hungry and it's fish and chips and it's, you know that's that's all i knew is how to eat fish and chips was was from back home in Canada, how I ate fish and chips. So I, you know, I, I, I bit into it. I was munching on it, chomping on it. And then you're five years old and all of a sudden your mouth is full of little bones. 
And in me, because, you know, fear and anxiety and insecurity is the demon that I've been living with ever since childhood, that became triggered because my mind was suddenly filled with fantasies of having fish bones caught in my throat and caught in my esophagus and me choking to death on fish bones. And here my mouth was full of fish bones. And I just broke down in tears and in a panic. And I was like spitting up fish and like spitting out fish bones. And then my, uh, my relatives, uh, my Hungarian relatives, they were all like, they're all standing around uh, basically uh, mocking me and, and, and complaining and say, what's wrong with this kid? And has, has, hasn't he ever had fish before? Why is he crying? Why is, what's, what's wrong with him? You know, like, well, so that was an impression which was triggering fear. And fear was taking, I mean, really, it was no big deal. I mean, honestly, it's no big deal. But to a five-year-old, and to a five-year-old who, who is very insecure and very afraid and very uh, and the comfort and security that he expected in eating fish and chips, something that's familiar and that he's, he's eaten before and he knows what to expect, he knows what it should be like. And then confronted with something so completely foreign and, and uh, unexpected. And then fear triggering and, and allowing to um, take advantage of that situation. And again, make myself into the victim. And everybody's making fun of me and everybody's pointing fingers and saying, what's wrong with him? Why can't he? And so this is whole, this, this whole um, uh, uh, vicious cycle. Now, in sharing these stories of our childhood, not because we're fishing for sympathy or anything like that, but because a child is incapable of transforming impressions right we we are we're innocent in, in in that sense we are we're naive is the better word and so you see how it's the failure to recognize what is happening and what really is the situation and what is the reality of the situation all of a sudden an ego gets in there and turns it into this hyperbolic, uh, this this drama. It, 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 egos are mechanical. Fear will fear. Fear is going to fear. And by focusing in on the product, the mechanical process, the mechanical processing, in other words, what the mechanical process spits out, which is in that particular case of eating the, the, the fish, the fish and chips that was full of bones, 
and the fear, the the sudden um, shock that that sent through my system, and then the fear um, grabbing a hold of that and saying, "Oh my God, if you swallow one of these by accident, you can you're going to choke to death," and all this this sort of thing, and the fact that I had wanted and I had expected a nice juicy uh, battered, fried, tasty uh, morsel of a fish. And instead, I got a mouthful of sharp, pointy, needly, uh, unpleasant uh, uh, fish bones. I mean, we all know what that feels like. We all know what that's like to have that. You know, you're five years old and you got a mouthful of fish bones. It's, it's, and you weren't expecting it. And now you're like, you know, picking them out and spitting them out and you're crying and everything else. You're worried, you're afraid that, you know, you're going to swallow them by accident and, and all the rest of it. Now. Imagine. Just look nowadays at some of the so-called adults and their reactions to stimuli, their reactions to impressions. Do you remember when Donald Trump was elected president? Do you remember the reactions of the radical left, These the, the woke culture, these, these young... I don't want to single out any particular gender necessarily, but it just so happens that that these were these were young women and their reactions to Donald Trump's election and they became memes on the internet because of these young women screaming and crying and and just these over the top hyperbolic reactions to Donald Trump being elected president And comprehend that these people go through their entire life having these sorts of reactions to things. Like the way I reacted to a mouthful of fish bones when I was five. A reaction of pure fear, of terror. And as we've discussed many, many times, fear, the ego of fear, the demon of fear, is the flip side of that coin, is the desire to control. It's not just the desire, the desire for comfort and security is included in that, but the desire to be in control. And there is nothing that makes someone feel more out of control than you know, when you put something into your mouth and it's not what you expected, right? You made a choice to eat something and then all of a sudden what you thought you were eating was now completely not what you thought you were eating. So that lack of control, that loss of control, and now that because that desire for comfort and security was fear in the first place, now that fear immediately switches to a different modality, and then you have that reaction, that overreaction. 
like I say, like a child can't transform impressions. But look around, look in politics, look in your own life, look in your own situation, your own experience. The people that you've encountered and the situations that you've been in, the situations that you've seen other people in and the way that you see other people and how they react. It's pure mechanicity. It's purely mechanical. There's no awareness. There's no consciousness of what's going on and what's taking place. These people are allowing themselves and giving themselves, surrendering in the moment completely to the mechanical elements of their psychology. Processing their experience. And in the processing of that, in the mechanical processing of that experience, what comes out the other end is always like like ground meat right it's like you put everything into a meat grinder and a meat grinder mechanically processes it right or you throw everything into a blender and a blender blends it into a whatever of some concoction some blend some mix some slurry of undefinable it's of you know whatever it is it's just all blended together into a mess that's mechanical processing you can think you can think about a food processor a meat grinder a blender a food processor this is all mechanical processing right it's very different than when you watch uh, an expert chef ch- slicing up vegetables or chopping up meat with a with a knife and, and in the end, you, you can create a beautiful platter of sliced and diced vegetables and fruits and everything else. And you can clearly see what all the components are and what their original form was. But a chef with that chef's knife and paying very close attention and focused concentration and skillfully and being relaxed. Because if you tense up, you're going to cut yourself with that knife. So being relaxed and skillfully with a very sharp knife, so a sharp focused consciousness, is able to slice and dice all all the meat, all the vegetables, all the fruit, and arrange them beautifully on a platter. And you can clearly see everything now. Versus taking all those ingredients and throwing them in a food processor and turning it on high and turning it into this this sludge. You have no idea what's in there anymore. You have no idea what it is that that you're consuming. You know, you can like uh, it was very popular a few years ago, maybe to to the same degree. Uh, the the breakfast smoothie, and we know we were we were we were you know guilty of this. We were um, 
we had a smoothie every morning for breakfast. And we just threw everything in there. And, and one of the reasons why we decided to have a smoothie every morning because it was so efficient. You could eat breakfast in literally like 10 seconds. Boom. Breakfast. Done. Over with. Now I can get on with my day. And we made a point of always putting, you know, lots of cocoa and, you know, honey or sugar or whatever to sweeten it. Had a nice chocolate milkshake for breakfast. Yeah, we had vegetables in there. We had fruit in there. We had all kinds of good stuff in there. But it was blended into this until it was smooth, right? It was blended beyond recognition. It was just this sludge. And we'd, we'd knock it back in just a few seconds. Boom. Breakfast is done with. On, on with our day. It's very efficient. It's very mechanical. Just the, the blender does all the work. The machine does all the work, right? And yeah, and it blends it into like the equivalent of baby food. So surely that's good for the digestive system, right? That's easy to, to digest for the digestive system. Sure, why not? Something similar happens when we fail to transform impressions consciously. Because mechanically, our egos will take those impressions and put them through the meat grinder of our subconscious mind. And they will spit up and spit out this sludge, this undiscernible, undefinable, there's, there's actually little in the way of nutritional value from a smoothie. This may be one of the reasons why it started falling out of favor because you know of all the fiber that you think you're getting through all that fruit or all those veggies that you put in your smoothie, but you blend it until it's a smoothie, all that fiber is now useless. It's no longer fiber. It's maybe soluble fiber. So there might be some benefit there. But the, uh, but the insoluble fiber that you would have gotten from actually eating that fruit properly, all those benefits are gone because you've essentially liquefied it. And by liquefying food that way, you, you're, not, and you're not sending the proper signals to the brain that you've eaten something. Smoothies pass by your, your teeth and your palate and you you don't even doesn't even like produce the correct saliva and stuff when you're when you're eating so the saliva doesn't mix with the food properly to start the digestive process but more importantly it doesn't trigger to the brain and the body that that you've eaten something it just just triggers that you've drank something so all sorts of signals don't take place properly in the body that you're eating a meal here. You're not eating a meal. You're drinking a liquefied version of a, of a meal. It's like those stupid uh, protein shakes and stuff that they sell or that they give you in the hospital when you're sick. And they think because it has all the nutritional value in there, but the processing of it, the mechanical processing of it, 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 it destroys the nutritional value and the energetic value especially is destroyed. Because when you take uh, uh, any type of living tissue, biological tissue, and you put it through a mechanical process, 
the energy, the vital energy, the vitality in that food is, is lost. And we've, we've talked about this often as well. You can take a Big Mac from McDonald's and you can leave it out on the counter and it won't rot. Bacteria and mold won't even touch it. It'll sit there on the counter. And a lot of that has to do with the processing that's gone into it. A lot of processed food is like that. It has no vital, it has no vitality left. There's no vital energy. It still has enough energy in there that it holds, it's, it's a physical form, but the vitality has been gone. The life energy is gone. And there's no impetus for the, the mechanisms which break down living things to actually go. Because as far as they're concerned, it's, it might as well be inert. It might as well be uh, just pure, like the elements, for example. Like mold and bacteria don't attack aluminum and they don't attack steel. They don't attack, generally, they don't attack things in the mineral kingdom because things in the mineral kingdom don't have that, that biological vi vitality that things in the plant and animal kingdom have. So when you ultra-process a food, it's basically reduced down to its basic elemental state and all of its biological vitality has been processed out of it. So when you look at a Big Mac sitting on a counter, basically you're looking at a periodic table of the elements and how those elements stitched are stitched together in certain molecules in certain ways. But the bacteria and the mold want nothing to do with it. Because to bacteria and mold, they might as well be looking at the counter top itself or the styrofoam container, which they also won't eat, right? <laughs> so, so this is when we think of mechanical processing and processed food and how processed food has zero nutritional value but it's actually toxic for the most of the time it's toxic to the body it's detrimental so we, we eat lots of mechanically processed food it's junk food right it's garbage that we're eating it was processed mechanically it was prepared by giant machines this great heartless soulless machine prepared and processed that food and so we put that into our body and then of course our body has to deal with it now it has to filter out all those toxins now it has to desperately try to deal with all that toxicity all that lack of energy and now it's now using more energy to digest that processed food that junk food than any energy that it can possibly extract from it. It's a net negative, it's a net negative uh, relationship. Okay, so let's, that's food and processed food and so on and so forth and okay. Let's move to impressions again. And understand that impressions are food. And the raw impression needs to be processed in some way. So 
that whole food, that whole impression comes into our purview, our psychology, into our metaphysical beingness. Now we have that choice. Are we going to be like the chef and take our sharp knife of focused consciousness and in a, being in a relaxed state, take those whole foods and carefully slice them and dice them and arrange them on a plate so that they can be slowly consumed bit by bit, morsel by morsel, bite by bite with a clear understanding, with a clear vision of what it is that we're eating of what it is that we're consuming. What, what are these impressions? Or are we going to allow our ego, our subconscious mind, our rational mind, and our emotional center to automatically and mechanically take all those ingredients, dump them into, our, into the food processor, and churn out some kind of slurry, some kind of processed, mechanically processed junk food, which we then take into our metaphysical bodies. Because that's what happens when we don't transform our impressions. When we don't, we are not, when we are not present and consciously participating in the digestion of our experience. If we allow our egos, our, mechani our mechanical selves to mechanistically, automatically take those impressions and put them through the meat grinder put them through the blender, put them through the mechanical processing and spit out the equivalent of junk food. Now, there's two different modalities that this generally takes. One is, uh, the, so mechanical processing of experience, of, of impressions, usually spits out one of two options. The first option is pleasure. The second option is pain. If you observe yourself, and if you observe going through life and having experience, and just going through life on autopilot, and allowing and just accepting whatever reactions, whatever automatically comes up within inside of you in response to stimuli, you know that in general, those responses are pleasure or pain or some version of pleasure or pain. And you also know that if you indulge, continuously indulge in the pursuit of pleasure, you're going to end up in some sort of addictive pattern. 
And if you go through life constantly just avoiding pain, then you become addicted to a different pattern. A pattern of avoidance, a pattern of fear, a pattern of desire to control, right? For comfort and security. But regardless, pleasure and pain are the two flavors, two natures of the output, that mechanical nature, that this mechanical processing of impressions are capable of producing. No nuance and no comprehensive, it's either or, it's either you know pleasure or pain, except in those rare cases where you have individuals who take pleasure from pain but that's a that's another uh, that's a different conversation altogether so then how do we actually perform this then we've talked in abstract terms and we've talked with you know symbols and allegories about you know uh, chefs and you know, meat grinders and, and blenders and, and all the rest of it. And the uh, comparison with junk food, et cetera, et cetera. But how do, can we practically uh, perform the transformation of impressions? Perhaps the easiest way to approach this question is to use our conscious imagination and visualize somebody um, insulting us or berating us or doing something which which triggers anger in us in some way and that's the immediate automatic response someone's in our face in other words and they're pushing our buttons, whatever those buttons may be. And we're having automatic, immediate, knee-jerk reactions in the face of this individual saying or doing or acting in whatever way. Again, most people will just go with their feelings. Or if they know they can't indulge those feelings openly, they might bury those feelings or they might internally allow those emotions, that anger, that resentment, that frustration to play out in their mind this, this whole drama, but it might just be only mental or it might just be and, and emotional, but outwardly, they might be stone-cold and stone-faced. This is not transformation of impressions. Right? This has nothing to do with how we outwardly present ourselves. Because there are many, 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 many people who are very good at, at, at seemingly being in control and seemingly controlling themselves and controlling their emotions outwardly 
They appear very good at that. But internally, they're allowing those mechanical egos to process the impressions and process their experience. They're churning and burning and, and their whole psychology internally is a giant meat factor, is a giant meat grinder uh, pumping out sausages. And everything they take in, and they always have a smile on their face or they're always very stoic or they're very, you know, however they present themselves because maybe they're in business or maybe they're in politics or maybe they're, you know, whoever or whatever they may be and they have to present themselves a certain way and they have to carry themselves a certain way. And you very often see this. Um, uh, lots of uh, famous people people who are in the public eye and so on, while they're in front of the cameras and everything else, they can carry themselves, they control themselves and everything else. And even if they get thrown a very difficult question, a very challenging question, they're able to maintain their composure on the outside. But on the inside, they're raging. That's not transformation of impressions. Someone is insulting you or attacking you or upsetting you and you feel that anger arise in you, that resentment, that how dare they, who do they think they are, da-da-da, this, that, and you, that, that, it's just boiling up, right? The important thing is to be observant of yourself and recognize that and say, okay, there's my fear, okay, there's my anger, there's my rage, there's my pride that's been hurt, that's been bruised. And then you immediately recognize what triggered that. What, what, what's triggering my pride? What's triggering this anger? What's triggering this, 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 this reaction in me? And then, of course, the obvious answer is staring you in the face. The person who's, you know, who's in your face, literally, pressing your buttons, saying what they're saying, doing what they're doing. Now, in that moment, when you comprehend that like attracts like and like triggers like certain frequencies will trigger their corresponding frequency. So it's like a tuning, um, it's like a two tuning forks. You hit one tuning fork and you hold it close to another one and the other one will start vibrating at the same frequency that the first one is vibrating at. And this works on, you know, piano wire, piano strings and you know, panel wires and tuning forks, and it's called, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, well, the word will come to us. Um, now it's on the tip of our tongue. Anyway, so the, this, this phenomenon where, where vibrations will, uh, will, will affect their resonance. Well, yes. Okay. Thank you. That's well. That's that's uh, one word for it, and there's another one. There's another word for it, but there's a but that's higher vibrations, which take lower vibrations into higher vibrations, and that's a different word. But yeah, no resonance. Resonance is uh, is is probably the correct uh, term here. So they will resonate, and we often say that what resonates with you, right? Oh, somebody said something. Oh, yeah, that really resonates with me. Because that's the truth that they spoke is vibrating at that certain frequency, which is inside of us. And that makes that, that resonates with us. Yeah, okay, yeah, I feel that. 
Well, in the same way, negative emotions, someone who's attacking you, berating you, is going to resonate with your mechanical elements, your egos. In recognition of that, when you feel and sense your ego is being triggered and it's wanting to come and fill your mind with all kinds of nonsense and fill your heart and, and, and you feel your body tensing up, you relax, you recognize it, what it is, you recognize, you don't, you do not resist and you do not repress the emotion. You allow yourself to experience the ego, but what you do not do is indulge it. You don't repress it, but you don't indulge it. You recognize it. You are aware of it say, aha, okay, there's my anger, there's my fear, there's my pride. So what's triggering it? And obviously now, again, you look across the way and what's causing the resonance? Well, it's the same resonant frequency. What that means is the individual who's in your face right now in that moment, they are indulging an ego. Or rather, they are possessed by that ego. That ego has a hold of them. And they are projecting outwardly that negative vibration. And they're, and they're saying or doing or acting in a way which is triggering your ego because of that resonant frequency. This is your opportunity to recognize that that individual is suffering. They're suffering in the same way that in that moment you are suffering. You are suffering that ego. And they are resonating with that same ego. That's what's causing that ego to be triggered inside of you. This is your opportunity to recognize that they're suffering. They're in suffering. And where someone is in suffering, that's an opportunity for us to respond with compassion, to respond with love. And we're suffering, and we recognize that, and we're aware of that. And we've, we're cognizant, we are conscious of the fact of something inside of us that is getting triggered. We want to become conscious of what is triggering it or who is triggering it and why. And when we recognize that the person who is insulting us or berating us or attacking us or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, that they are not themselves in that moment, that they are possessed by an ego. And that is what this whole negative exchange that that ego is trying to um, conspire with the egos inside of you to create this whole drama and to start a fight, right? To start a ping pong match, a tennis match back and forth where <clears throat> insult leads to counter insult. Attack leads to counter attack and so on and so forth. And this we experience very often with a loved one because for whatever reason, the, the people we love in our life are the most in tune with us. And especially when we're talking about a lover, a partner, a spouse, we have tremendous chemistry with them. And that's why we have that expression that uh, if it's not sparks in the bedroom, it's a raging grease fire in the kitchen. 
because when you have chemistry, that means you have, you resonate on all of these different levels and the egos are going to come along and they're going to try and ride those resonating waves. They're going to try to um, take advantage of all the places where we connect. We have that connective tissue with one another and that, that those vibes that resonate uh, between ourselves, the ego, those are what the egos are going to try to use to, to come together because after all, what egos want are our sexual energy and our consciousness. And where we connect with others, we connect mentally, emotionally, energetically. Those connections cause a circuit and cause that energy to flow and cause that, that, that uh, resonating um, frequencies that we experience when we are in tune with one another. And it also just so happens that the people who are closest to us in our lives often share the same egos because like attracts like. And the chemistry that we have with someone very often includes that we share a lot of those same egos. And that's by design. That the people, especially when it comes to uh, partners, uh, romantic partners, but also friends and other people that we attract into our lives, um, are very often there uh, to serve as a mirror to us. So again, it's an opportunity for us to know ourselves, but also know them and know their suffering and respond with compassion, respond consciously with love. Now, that may, that, that's, that may be that the response because it sounds like, well, you respond with compassion, you respond with love. Well, those are two very positive things. So this is where you end up with people saying, well, you just have to be positive. You just have to, you know, be positive thinking, respond with love. And so, but again, we're, we have to be careful that we're not just taking a paint roller and painting over the situation with love and, and forcing some sentimental notion of love and compassion and, and so on. And it's also not about like, you know, having someone who's in your face and telling you off or telling lies to you or doing whatever, or trying to manipulate or coerce you. It's not like you respond to them as, oh, but you know what? I love you. It's it has, like, that's, it's, it's not about the outward appearance of your response. To impressions. It's all about the internal processing and who or rather what is doing the processing of that experience. What is doing the digestion? The mechanical ego is a subconscious mind or your conscious self. Yeah, Kamal Manzuki, uh, uh, postulates, posits the term toxic positivity. And you know people like this. You know people like this. And there are people like this and you can't, 
you can't talk reality to them because in their reality they they don't live in reality you can't speak to them about the nature of reality or the nature of the times that we're living in and you certainly can't have any sort of meaningful conversation with them about their own psychology because uh this this phrase this expression toxic positivity is just it's it's literal it's not even a figurative expression because by avoiding the processing of negative emotions and negative reactions and negative beliefs and mental patterns by avoiding them and without digesting them consciously and transforming them into empathy, into love, into sympathy, into knowledge, into wisdom, into courage, into humility, that negativity, just that it's just left to its own devices in the subconscious mind. It just grows and festers and festers and festers and festers. It just remains active. We uh, just realized that um, we forgot to share the link to the stream. Not that uh, many people use it, but in any case, there it is. It's just a tradition. It's just something that we do. Um, now, what if it's not a person? We're going to, we don't know if you can see this. Can you see those? Okay. We have what appears to be two paper cuts on our uh, on our fingers. Well, this happened yesterday morning. Um, you know, ever since we can remember, we've been opening uh, containers of yogurt the same way. We put two fingers under the plastic, and we just and we pull and we sort of pull and turn at the same time. To, to peel off the, uh, the plastic lid of the yogurt. And uh, we've been doing this for, gosh, when did we start opening up yogurt? Probably as a kid. So, so we've been doing this for at least, you know, uh, at least 40 years, probably more like 45 years. We've been opening yogurt containers the same way. Never had a problem. Never had an issue opening yogurt. Yesterday, we grab and a new a new container of yogurt and all of a sudden that plastic lip which we have been opening the same way for 40 years slices into our fingers and gives us these two like deep paper cuts which were like because and they're literally it that plastic lid it was as sharp as a knife and boy in that moment I got to tell you, we, I, I was, I was angry. I was, I was pissed. Not only was I surprised, not only did it, did it hurt a lot, right? Cause paper cuts are, are paper cuts after all. And, but I was livid that the company has now gotten so cheap and they're so, they're so obsessed with efficiency and they're so obsessed with like profits 
that they have now made the plastic in the lid on the on the yogurt container so thin that it's razor sharp. And literally razor sharp. I mean, that's that's you know that um, you know blood doesn't lie, <laughs> okay. And in that moment, that's exactly how I felt. And and I was and that because I had performed this action, I had been performing this action of opening yogurt or sour cream or any type of plastic container with a lid like that i've been opening it the same way for the better again the better part of four decades i had been done i had done it mechanically and unconsciously all that time i never thought about it I was never cognizant about what i was doing exactly and i did it the same way mechanically and this time i had a wake-up call saying you can't do this mindlessly anymore because the world is getting to the point where uh, out of desperation, nothing is as it's been. Nothing is as you expect and nothing will be as you expect. Not even opening a container of yogurt. So after my first initial mechanical automatic reaction, because I had been mindlessly opening yogurt the whole time, but then once it started to sink in and the pain and everything and the blood was, you know, and I had to, you know, I was trying to stop the blood from getting all over the place. Um, it was like, okay, hang on a second. What, what, what is this, what is this trying to tell me, this container of yogurt? With the, with its razor sharp lid, what is it? What is it really saying? And that's what it was saying. And it was saying you have to be mindful. You have to be more mindful. You always have to seek opportunities to be aware and observant and present and cognizant of what you're doing. And I was able to. Took a, took a few moments, okay. I admit that, right? I I had my I I caught myself indulging my anger and frustration and disdain for the uh, for the the cheapskate company wanting to save the point zero zero one percent the point zero five cents on that con container lid worth of plastic which in the aggregate maybe earn the company another $100,000 a year or who knows, right? But they do this, right? Companies are always doing this. They'll go in and they'll have their meetings and they'll go, well, you know, how can we, uh, how can we uh, reduce the uh, overall cost of our packaging by another 5%? And they start having a, you know, well, um, we could make the, the plastic a little thinner. So I had that moment of, of anger and frustration and how, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and nothing lasts anymore. Nothing's made with quality anymore. And everything's so cheap and everybody, and nobody cares about what they do. And they make these decisions without caring about what the consequences might be and so on. Right. I had that moment of indulging 
this anger and frustration and everything else about the way the world is and why it can't be something else and why it can't be something better. Why does everything, why does everything have to go in this direction? I had that moment, but I caught myself having that moment. And I recognize, look, this happened for a reason. And all that stuff is happening for a reason. The desperation, the obsession, the obsession with the prophet and everything's getting thinner and smaller and cheaper and weaker and less quality and planned obsolescence and all the rest of it. It's all across the board. It's happening all over the world. Why? Because it's all part of the age in which we are in. It's all part of the great awakening. And the more asleep and the more the world is falling into that trap of the great awakening, the more awake we have to be and the more present and the more vigilant and the more cognizant we must be in the transformation of impressions that we receive from this world, which is sliding into the abyss. This humanity, we should say, which is sliding into the abyss. That's, uh, that falls on our shoulders. The transformation of impressions is our responsibility. There's no point in us going through life pointing fingers and laying blame and getting angry and getting frustrated and allowing ourselves to fall into that trap. And, and, you know, and being uh, victimized by all the paper cuts that we're getting. Emotional paper cuts, mental paper cuts, physical paper cuts we're getting because of a, a humanity which is going off the rails. We have to recognize that that humanity is suffering, that humanity is asleep. And the worse things get, the more desperate that humanity is going to become because they are processing mechanically. They aren't transforming impressions. They cannot face death. They cannot process, they cannot face the reality that this humanity is in the process of falling apart. This global civilization is marching towards its inevitable destruction. <clears throat> And the closer we get to that point, and the worse things get, the more desperate people are going to be, and the more outlandish and dramatic and, and over-the-top and hyperbolic their reactions are going to be, because they're going to be reacting mechanically. And one of the aspects of the zombie apocalypse in science fiction is that you know the zombies want to create more zombies? I mean, if you've seen the uh, the Brad Pitt film World War Z, is based on a best-selling novel. Um, in that in that novel, in that uh, in that film, the zombies are uh, created by some kind of a virus, some kind of a, 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 a transmissible uh, disease. So when a zombie bites somebody else they 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 pass along the uh, disease and then they they that person turns into a zombie themselves so when we look out 
in the world and people's reactions to impressions, their egos are trying to elicit a reaction in you and elicit a reaction in others. There's an old expression, misery prefers company. And that expression comes from the idea that people who are miserable want to be around other miserable people for that sense of for that sense of belonging, that sense of I'm not the only one, I'm not alone. And also because we can sit and have our, you know, bitch and complain together. We can have our bitch sessions, our bitch fest, and, and just complain and complain and complain incessantly to one another. But the reverse is also true. Somebody who's angry, somebody who's incensed, who's outraged, who's triggered, they're going to want to spread that to the people around them. This is what happens in mob mentality through the morphogenetic field. This is what happens when uh, a crowd or an audience suddenly becomes turned because something triggers somebody and their outrage is indulged and expressed and that negative energy goes out and then that triggers other people around them and then it becomes a wave it becomes a um, a cascading effect and these people come outraged and they outrage enrage those people and those people and those people and they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on that's a, a television commercial from the late 70s early 80s so we need to be able to stop that process. We are responsible for ourselves. So with that, as that uh, in what they call in computers or a network, a, uh, a, cas um, a cascading failure. So a failure upstream causes uh, malfunctions downstream in the connected nodes and then those the malfunctions in those connected nodes cause further uh um malfunctions in all of the nodes that they're connected to so you have to see it like a um in a network diagram like a hierarchy so from one node you get two nodes you get four nodes you get eight nodes you get 16 nodes right we can't stop the whole cascading effect but we can control our node. So when the ups, when the cascading failure upstream hits our node, we can transform it. We can recognize what's coming in as negative, as a failure, as a as a um, a malfunction, and we can recognize it and use our consciousness and transform it. And again, not because we're using positive thinking or anything else. We're just comprehending what's going on. And we do not pass the failure onward. And we do not allow the failure or malfunction to fester inside of ourselves. In other words, we do not allow ourselves to internalize that cascading failure within our own system. 
We recognize the failure, we recognize the malfunction, and we terminate its capacity to propagate. We terminate its capacity to propagate outside of ourselves, and we terminate its, its capacity to propagate inside of ourselves. But we don't do it through repression or suppression or avoidance. We do it through comprehension, through cognizant recognition and observance of. Say, yep, yeah, there it is. There's the failure. There's my ego. There is what's being triggered. And then we recognize. So what's causing that? Why in that moment? And then we, as we described, through consciousness, through cognizance, we move into a space of compassion. We move into a space of love. Now, love is severity and mercy. There's, there's a time for mercy. There's a time for kindness and compassion and that mild-mannered, um, light-hearted response to someone who's suffering. Maybe you respond, you know, with levity. You deflect, you, you, you deflect the negative energy or you try to dispel the negative energy with uh, some, some humor. Or sometimes the best thing to do is, yes, you know, I understand completely how you feel. I know how you feel. Because you're, it's true. You know, how you, you know how they feel. They just made you feel the same way. You just cognizantly recognized and observed the negativity within yourself being triggered. The, the frustration, the anger, the pride, the shame, the guilt, whatever it was that was being triggered inside of you, you've just processed it consciously. So you can now respond to that person saying, you know what? I hear you. I hear you. And I believe me, I know how you feel. in that moment that's not a guarantee that they're all of a sudden that you're going to transform them in that moment but generally speaking it's very difficult for somebody to remain angry at you and continue their assault when you, when you are in complete agreement with them when they they they're 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 throwing venom they're throwing anger they're throwing whatever they're throwing in your face and instead of throwing it back at them like a tennis match you and and then you're not exactly surrendering either you just you're holding out a kind of olive branch but it's not, it's just you're, what you're really doing is like you're jumping on their side of the court. And you're like, boy, I'm glad you served that, that ball. Here, let's play doubles. And now you're no longer in your court. You're in their court. Now, they could turn around and they could just continue their assault. There's no question. But... There are ways when you when you respond consciously with love 
and you recognize and you empathize and you re recognize that they're suffering and you know they're suffering because you've just experienced it, you can truthfully say to them, you know, I feel your pain. I feel, I, I, you know what? I understand. I, I know what you're going through. Or I feel what you're paying. And you know what? I understand where you're coming from. I, I see where you're coming from. I hear you. Sometimes when people are angered with us, when people are attacking us, really all they want to do is be heard. This is one of the powers of transformation of impressions when it comes to dealing with other people. But sometimes what may be called for is some severity. And this is not something that we decide. It comes from within. And sometimes we have to be stern with someone. Sometimes we have to put somebody in their place. Not because I'm putting them in their place, but because they need to be put in their place. And I'm the messengers. And that's... And that's a uh, that's a thankless uh, that's a that's a thankless um, job most of the time. I mean, most of us know, um, you know, th that expression uh, to shoot the messenger. Um, but on occasion. with experience and with tact and with, again, surrendering to our higher self and our intuition on the matter. And that's why being relaxed and being present is so important because it's very tricky when we are being emotionally triggered and we have these egos wanting to respond in kind, fight fire with fire. It's very hard to turn the other cheek. And as we've explained in the past, turn the other cheek is not a passive action, and it's not a pass. It's not passive aggressive, and it's not it's not an expression of nonviolence either. Turn the other cheek is simply an expression of do not return evil for evil. Do not return ego for ego. Do not react to ego with ego. Turn the other cheek is Jesus saying, transform the impression. Turn the other cheek. You have to use your conscious imagination. Have you ever been slapped? Has anybody ever slapped you, smacked you across the face? And I'm thinking specifically like a loved one. We're willing to bet dollars for donuts that you smack them right back. There's that great episode of Cheers from the 80s with Diane and Sam. And there's that great <laughs> dysfunctional love affair uh, in, that comedy, uh, in that comedy series. And there's that great scene when they're in the bar and they're just slapping each other back and forth. And, and it doesn't matter if, if, if Sam slaps Diane, she slaps him right back. And if uh, Diane slaps Sam, he just automatically slaps her back. And then for like, you know, a full 30 seconds, they're just, there's this, this perfect comic timing of them smacking each other back and forth and back and forth until eventually Sam's like, oh God. 
And he's like, he's like, so he's, it's like, he realizes he can't win. He's like, you know, you can't win and you can't win that exchange. Returning ego for ego. You can't win fighting fire with fire. You can't win. So turning the other cheek is when you recognize what that means is you don't react automatically. You don't react mechanically because the mechanical thing to do is to smack them back. That's the automatic mechanical instinctive thing to do. If someone slaps you across the face, you smack them back. I've been there. I've experienced that. And we laugh uh, when we see it on, in, in movies and on comedy shows because we know it's true. We laugh because it's funny, but we laugh because it's true. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, what he's really saying is transform the impression. Turn the other cheek is not, you're not presenting yourself to be smacked on the other side of the face. To turn the other cheek, to turn, to transform. The other cheek could very well be the cheek that you're about to smack back. No, no, no. Turn the other cheek. Turn it. Transform the automatic mechanical reaction in you into kindness, into compassion, into love. And respond with that other cheek. Show, show them that other side of yourself. Hop the tennis net into their court. Don't be an, don't automatically oppose them. Transform the whole situation. May not get you anywhere. We can't be naive. Okay. We, we don't have these magic powers over other people's emotions and other people's psychologies, nor should we want to have such power over them. But if through our love, if through our compassion, if through our understanding, we can uh, dispel the negative energy. If we can turn down the heat on the thermostat, then we can we can dial everything down, and we can get we can get things down into a into a a level of of more civility. And we can we can work in a more uh, productive way than a destructive way. We can shift from a confrontational, contrarian competition and shift and transform the situation into more of a cooperation or a collaboration and a comprehension, right? Let's work, let's work this out together. Or let's agree to disagree and go our separate ways. Because that's sometimes, that's the best you can, you can hope for is detente, right? You're not there to win an argument. You know, you're there to help them. You're there to, to, to help them in some way. Well, then don't allow the, the situation to go down the downward spiral 
down the toilet because what's going to get it there is just mechanical law of gravity and the mechanical law of uh, centrifugal and uh, centripetal and centrifugal forces. Azazel says, I have never had to hit someone else back. So, so no one's ever slapped you? <laughs> you've never been slapped? Boy, you've, you've, you've lived a sheltered existence if no woman has ever slapped you across the face. Or either that or you're an angel or you're a very non-confrontational person or something. <laughs> Rest assured, I've, I've been in those slapping matches in my life. Not often, but I have been. And I've also had a situation where it wasn't slapping, it was throwing drinks in uh, in the other person's face. <laughs> so I got a drink thrown in my face and I threw a drink right back in their face. Or was it, no, no, I drew, I think I drew first blood. I threw the drink in her face and then, but she had hot tea. I had a cold glass of water and I threw cold water in her, in her face. She threw boiling hot tea in my face. Uh, so <laughs> scalding hot tea. So I learned my lesson. That was the last time I ever had any kind of exchange like that with someone. No more slapping, no more drinks in the face, no more confrontation. I learned my lesson that way. It can escalate very, it can, it can, it can uh, turn out very poorly. <laughs> that was years and years and years ago. Anyway. Um, there is another situation that we cannot allow ourselves to overlook. Um, and that is situations where we are confronted with the truth. Um, sometimes we are confronted with the truth and we respond to it with anger or frustration, or shame, or pride, or, or guilt, or because we have to recognize our own cognitive dissonance. Now, because we're on the path, hopefully, we don't suffer from this too much, but we've certainly suffered from it in the past, and we may still experience situations in the future where we are confronted by someone who is telling us what we need to hear, but we don't want to hear it. And certainly, we also, on the, on the flip side of that, recognize that very often, if we speak truth to somebody else, uh, they will react in a way with anger or with pride or frustration, or they'll lash out because the best defense is a good offense. And again, when they do that, we want to realize just how deep into suffering they are and just how possessed they are of their egos. It doesn't make being a messenger any easier and it doesn't make receiving a message any easier. But we have to recognize that it's not always ego that triggers ego. Sometimes it's the truth, the light and the love that triggers ego. So 
The reason why it's important for us to mention this is because transforming impressions and responding with love, you may get, you may be met with even more venom, with even more vitriol and more anger and more frustration to just be prepared for that as a possibility. There are some situations that you just, you simply uh, cannot dispel, that you cannot control you, you and you cannot dissipate the, the negative energy, the anger. There are some situations, no matter what you do or what you say or how you say it, you're just going to be throwing, putting more oil on the fire. And, and if you try to respond with kindness or compassion or love, if you try to take a conciliary approach, you're just throwing oil on the fire and they're going to come at you because they think that you've shown a sign of weakness. And if you try to stand up and be assertive and be strong, then you're going to be branded, then they're going to be, uh, you're going to be branded arrogant and offensive and everything else. And they're going to try to gaslight you. And so there are some people in some situations where you really, the only thing you can do is bless them and walk away. And depending on the situation, there is nothing that says, you know, you have to constantly, consistently throw yourself into a situation uh, where you're having to constantly just sit there transforming impression after impression after impression after impression after impression and subject yourself to that. It might be beneficial and it might be a situation that you find yourself in and you can't escape. In which case, you know that that's your job, that that's the test, that that's the challenge. Can I be in the middle of all this negativity and still be an island of calm, of relaxed, of peace, even as everything around me is, is collapsing and everything around me is negative and the whole, you know, the whole city is burning down around me and there's, and there's the angry mob has encircled and they're all carrying their torches and pitchforks. Can I remain centered and calm and compassionate and loving and recognize that, that I'm surrounded by suffering? I'm surrounded by people suffering. And you can feel their suffering because they are triggering the sources of suffering inside of you, which you are transforming. And in the transformation of that, those impressions, you, you, you come to a, a greater awareness and a greater understanding and appreciation for just how badly and how painful it is that those 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 in that encircling mob around you is suffering this by the way is a very 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 uh plain jane shadowy representation shadowy uh description of the level of mastery that uh, Jesus exhibited during the crucifixion. Just imagine the level that he had attained to be able to transform the impressions of the crucifixion. Not just the taunting, the emotional, the mental 
attacks of the mob, with them throwing stones and but the, the and the, the the physical, the physical pain, the physical suffering, and his ability to transform those impressions. As very often, um, as we like to point out, uh, Jesus said, uh, if you would be with me, um, take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus showed us the way. He didn't tell us the way. He showed us the way. And if you ever have any questions or doubts right how does one transform impressions our good friend uh, benjamin if he's uh if he's out there somewhere and i think he is benjamin raphael uh our good friend benjamin raphael right now he's 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 frantically looking up the uh the, the gospel quotation, but here's this one. We'll we we know we don't know the uh, the chapter or verse, but we know the great and famous plea that Jesus says: "Forgive them, Father, for they they know not what they do." Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This is how we know Jesus was transforming. The impressions of the crucifixion because there he was being crucified by the angry mob who were throwing insults and 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 just unimaginable venom vitriol at him who the same mob who only a few days earlier had greeted him in jerusalem on palm uh sunday with with palms with you know with and they they greeted him like a conquering hero as their messiah and and five days later they're crucifying him and they're demanding his death forgive them father for they know not what they do that's if nothing else if nothing else to transform the impressions of someone who is attacking us, if nothing else, after we've dealt with our own egos being triggered, our own anger, frustration, guilt, pride, whatever it is, and we see the suffering of that individual and we see their ignorance, we can give a silent prayer. We can say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They're ignorant. They're asleep. They're possessed by demons. They're possessed by egos. Benjamin says, love transcends everything. We have more. Um, Kamal Manzuki said of our uh, slapping match, he said, oof, <laughs> and, and laughed out loud. <laughs> And Benjamin said, my first love slapped the hell out of me, but I didn't slap back. And he says, because he was taught never to hit a lady. Well, guess what? I was also taught never to hit a lady. Um, <laughs> and I freely admit that in those moments, 
when I had uh, smacking matches or throwing uh, uh, drinks in someone's face, I just freely admit that in those moments, I was possessed. I was possessed. That was the demon. And I know that. Right? That's, that's why I came saddled with this burden. So that I could speak in this way. So that I could know what people experience and know what they go through. And know why they behave in certain ways. Because otherwise, how could I speak authoritatively on this? Like even when there's people in the chat who have never had these experiences. I've had these experiences and I freely admit that I've allowed myself to react mechanically. And that was that fear become anger because fear wants to control and wants to be in control. Fear wants the last laugh and fear wants the last slap. Because it wants to be the dominant one. It wants to be the one in control. It wants the last word in an argument. It wants to win the argument. And we've been through all of that. We we have all of that experience. And we know that. Because we had the presence of mind to at least be observant and watch as all of that was taking place in us and going and, and, and be an intrepid explorer of ourself and comprehend what was going on psychologically within ourselves. And as Azazel says, I had to protect my sister when we were young. And this guy threatened to throw his wooden shoe at me if I stood in his way. As Azazel says, I, I only asked him this, what do you think will happen when that wooden shoe ends up in my hand? And informed him that we were on our way home. We were on our way home anyway. <laughs> wooden shoe, really? A wooden shoe? I guess that's. I thought that was a Dutch thing. I didn't know that was a Swedish thing. Maybe it's all Scandinavian countries have wooden shoes. I don't know. But yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, it's a good way to diffuse. The situation to diffuse the bomb there, to diffuse the wooden shoe, saying if you th- if you throw that wooden shoe here, that's going to be a weapon for me, <laughs> for me to retaliate. <laughs> All right, we're going to come up here and 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 put this back on the screen just for a moment. Uh, Benjamin, he says, love transcends everything. Um, we intimated at something in the, in the uh, description for today's live stream. We mentioned the word cancer. As uh, some of you know, uh, my, my beloved mother passed away four years ago from uh, cancer. And she had a particular type of cancer. She she had uh, kidney cancer. And it was stage four when she was diagnosed. And we, at that time, 
we, it fell on our shoulders to to um, to be her primary caregiver while she remained with us. And in the short time that we had together, we spent a great deal of time meditating and a great deal of time researching um, alternative uh, cancer uh, care and so on. But we mainly wanted to comprehend why our mother who had been so giving and so caring about other people um what you know how is it fair or right had that that she got cancer and it was the nature of her cancer and uh And the relationship between her failure, her inability to transform impressions. Because if we do not consciously digest these negative impressions, specifically those of our own egos, then that energy, then the consequences, the output of that mechanical processing has to be dealt with by our metaphysical bodies. Just before we continue, we're going to address Benjamin's uh, quote here because we don't want to mix things up too much. Um, Benjamin says, when Jesus said while hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Obviously, this is not a rational thing to say. He must be speaking from a place of deep truth. So when we transform impressions, we must be from this place of truth instead of using a rational mind. That's one way to, that's one way to express it. Another way to express it, though, is uh, another way to say that is that the rational mind is mechanical. The rational mind is mechanical. It's an it's a electrochemical computer. That's what the rational mind is. Remember, we had a, uh, did a live stream a few weeks ago talking about AI and how the dawn of AI was not the 20th century. The dawn of AI was the fall of humanity in Lemuria. That was the dawn of AI. When the rational mind became dominant in the human machine, when the consciousness fell asleep, and the rational ego mind took over. Well, the rational ego mind, egos are mechanical. The mind is mechanical. That means the rational mind can't be anything but mechanical. If you're just thinking about this stuff, you're not transforming the impressions. It's not a rational process. It's a conscious process. You don't think your way through the transformation of impressions. You know your way through it. You love your way through it. Because if you don't do it, 
or if you just use your rational mind, because lots of people, you know, they can think their way out of just about everything and they can rationalize themselves just about anything. And they'll say, oh, he's saying this and that because X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Oh, and he thinks this and he thinks that. And I said this and he said that. And, and I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that kind of a dis discussion or debate with somebody where you're arguing about why you're arguing. You're arguing and you say, and you say, you know what though? But you said this and I'm only angry because you said that. And they said, but I only said that because you said this. Yeah, but I only said that because you said that. And then you said, no, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. You misinterpreted that. No, 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 I didn't. And yet, uh, next thing you know, you're having this, this, this rational argument trying to justify and rationalize why you're, why, it's, why you're right to be arguing. <laughs> and you're trying to play back what people said and didn't say. That. If you've ever had that, that experience, it's, it's surreal. And it's, it's frankly comical. It's frankly ridiculous. Um, but that's what happens when the rational mind gets involved. Right? So it's not a rational, as, as Raphael says here, it's not rational. It's a, it's a place of love. It's a place of consciousness. And the mechanical uh, egos they will want to uh, take the impressions and process them and they create like that processed food, that junk food, right? Is that those beliefs, those feelings, those lingering feelings like that, that can last with you for uh, minutes or hours or days. And you, 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 you can find yourself relentlessly playing out the same scenario over in your head, or you're feeling that you're living with the resentment of something for days, right? Like, just imagine if, if, uh, if middle of next week, somebody calls me up and says, how are you doing? He goes, oh, you know what? I'm fine. Except for the fact that I have these two freaking paper cuts and I got them from this stupid yogurt container and can't believe that they did that and that yogurt thing and blah, 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 right? And I'd be still living in the resentment of that. Right? That, 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 that impression of that pain and that thing, that moment that I had, right? That just lasted a moment that was able to transform into a comprehension about the age that we're in and the reality of this is just this is just status quo. This is par for the course now, so you better get used to it. Imagine if today on this live stream, I spent half an hour, you know, complaining uh, about you know about these about these uh, paper cuts instead of using them as a case study for the importance of transformation of impressions. But you know people like this. In fact, yesterday, we had guests over. And these guests were uh, talking about uh, a trip that they recently took. And of course, there were members of my family there were members of my family that uh, that uh, had taken a trip, and they said, "Oh, how's your how was your trip?" 
it was good it was this that you know and after a few moments of talking a little you know vague things about what was good and oh it was good and this was good and that was good and so on and they they covered a little bit of the good stuff somebody mentioned but you know coming back to canada the airport this happened and that happened and this was like this and that was like that and this was like that rah, rah, rah. and before you knew it the entire table was in this bitch fest about traveling and airplanes and airlines and airports and airport security and I can't believe, and would you believe they made me do this? And would you believe they, they made me do that? And then they said, I have to do this. And then they left me like that and listened. Da, da, da. And we were, I just sat there. I just watched in amazement, in awe. And some of the individuals were talking about trips that they took months ago. Some were bringing up situations that they took years ago. And they were, it was clear that the annoyance, the frustration, the anger, how incensed they were, how offended they were, their pride had been hurt, their sense of comfort and security had been offended, so their fear had been triggered, their anger. For all of them, it was fresh. It was all alive and fresh, and it just came to the surface like this as soon as somebody started talking about you know all of a sudden the misery prefers company uh phenomenon came to life and everybody started bringing up like vomiting up all this negativity all this sludge all this slurry all of this ground meat this sausage filling that the mechanical meat grinder of their psychology had processed and deposited in their subconscious mind. This toxic, zero energy, negative energy, net negative sustenance that was just being stored in the subconsciousness because the metaphysical bodies can't digest that garbage properly so it remains undigested in the subconscious mind and then when somebody brings it up oh it's an opportunity for a bitch fest oh no 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 and if they're all and i'm sitting there going about wow Yeah, Alexander says, sounds exhausting. He was referring earlier to the couple who's rationalizing and trying to justify who's right to be angry and arguing. <laughs> but it's also exhausting to sit and watch people bitch and complain about stuff that happened months ago. That's like, should be water under the bridge. Should be long forgotten. Like, it should be, so, we should be laughing about it. I tried to, to, to shift the conversation when it finally got to uh, when, when um, my uncle had, was saying about 
the flying to to uh, Spain and how they got off the big plane onto this little propeller plane and so on and so forth. At least, and he was being a merry merry, you know, I was, I was upset and and and, he, and, he was, and, he was, I, and 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 my son had got me the first class ticket. But you know, the first class is in the front of the plane, but you have to get on the back of the plane of this small plane and you have to go and try to like get through all these people and they're putting their luggage and everything and saying, I'm supposed to be in first class. Um, I also took a very small plane like that when I went to Spain. I, um, um, getting off the big plane, the transatlantic flight, went into Heathrow and then I got on a uh, easy jet flight, which is, which is basically like a Greyhound bus in the sky. And, uh, and I got on this little propeller plane to, to fly to Valencia, um, to, uh, to Barcelona. And, <clears throat> and because my, uh, my uncle is, is married to a woman from Panama and he's been to Central America many times, South America many times. I know he has ridden a chicken bus. You know, at least he knows what a chicken bus is. And a chicken bus is an old, uh, one of those yellow school buses from the United States or whatever. And it's been, they, they, they get retired in the United States and get taken down to Mexico and Central America. And they get converted into these very, very inexpensive uh, commuter type buses that go from town to town, city to city. And they're all spray painted with elaborate colors and they're called chicken buses because anything goes. If you can get it through the door, it can get on the bus and you can take it with you on the bus. So it's very common to see people with live chickens and goats and things like that on these, on these buses. It's called the chicken bus. And I was joking with them and I at least made a, you know, I, I got everybody laughing and joking and getting and, and getting and trying trying to transform the conversation into something more, more lighthearted and more, and let's, let's try to, let's try to find the humor in these experiences that we've had. And I said, yeah, yeah, I too rode the chicken bus in the sky <laughs> to get to Spain. <laughs> it's called EasyJet, <laughs> and it's like riding a chicken bus, <laughs> but it flies. Um, but you see, that's, um, we all know people like that. And perhaps some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we still carry, you know, these, some kind of like, we, 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 we carry a grudge for certain situations, for certain events in our life. And we might be carrying them subconsciously, we might not even realize we're carrying them until they're brought to the surface in some way, until something gets triggered which brings them out and all of a sudden we're vomiting up all this vitriol, all this anger, all this pent up rage and pent up frustration and, and so on. And it's coming to the surface now because we never processed it consciously. We only digested it mechanically, which means it would all just got ground up right into that sludge, into that, into that like mechanical trash compactor, right? But it's never properly digested. And the, and, and the subconscious, of course, doesn't want to digest anything. It just wants to keep festering. It wants to make it moldy or make it make it grow like a bacterial growth. And that negativity just eating on eating itself and feeding on itself. And these these egos feeding on their their negativity. And this has very 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 real consequences, which we'll get to in just a moment. But first, Kamal Manzuki says. One thing I catch myself thinking about, uh, I catch myself thinking about the brand of woke that is actively malevolent and sadistic. 
is uh, these people deserve a journey through hell. So let me let me read that again because I'm not sure I understood it the first time I went through it. One thing I catch myself thinking about the brand of woke that is actively malevolent and sadistic is these people deserve a journey through hell. And then he says, it's one thing I catch myself thinking with the people who embody most actively sadistic and malevolent brand of woke. And, uh, and then he goes, one more time, he, third attempt, he says, one thing I catch myself thinking about people who embody this most sadistic and malevolent brand of woke is, quote, these people deserve a journey through hell. Okay. You know, it's, a, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, this is one of the one of the four pillars of the book that we're writing uh you don't you don't have to um worry about them deserving a journey through hell they are they are already in hell the people who embody this most sadistic and malevolent uh brand of woke is they they are all they are already in hell Yeah, yeah, no, no problem with the typos. I, I, I figured out that you were trying to compose. Uh, uh, you were trying to get your comment proper. Um, but again, the the key here, and this is, and <clears throat> the whole reason why we're writing the book, and why we are able to write the book, and why we are able to say that, rest assured, Kamal Manzuki, they are in hell is because I was one of them. I was woke. I was woke before the term woke existed. Because from 1991 to 1995, that's 91, 92, 93, and my English department was completely woke. And I was indoctrinated into critical, into critical theory, to post-colonialism, into women's studies, into all that stuff. All of it. Postmodernism. I studied Jack Derrida. I studied Michel Foucault. All that stuff. And I was and I was indoctrinated, hook, line, and sinker into the woke. I know they're in hell because I went through that hell. The whole, the title of the book is What in Hell is With Us. I've changed it. It used to be, I was going to call it What in Hell is With Humanity. I've changed it, made it more personal, more direct and inclusive. It's not just humanity in the abstract. No, it's What in Hell is With Us, meaning myself included. Because I'm walking my talk here. I'm taking our own advice and saying, I'm putting myself, I'm not on this side of the net. I'm not in my court serving balls over the net into my reader's court. No, I'm climbing over the net into their side of the court and say, let's put aside the tennis for, tennis for a while. Let's go and have a drink. And let's 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 share some war stories because I know 
where you are. I know what you're going through because I've been there. I went my, the whole thing is my, the whole flavor of the book now is bookended and, and framed and contextualized as my journey through hell. And the reason why I went through that journey is so that I could know intimately from the inside how all the people are trapped by that woke thing or by conspiracy or by the new age or by transhumanism. These are all the traps. Remember a few weeks ago, we did a live stream on this, how all four of these are traps because they all offer false awakenings. And I know how tempting that is. And I know why it's tempting. And I know how it's tempting and how it coerces and how it it traps us. Because I was trapped. I was tempted. I was coerced. I fell for it. And I had to go through that hell. And for 25 years, give or take, I've been going, I went through that hell and had to learn how to climb out of it. And that's what the book is about. No matter who you are, no matter what you identify with, in any of these vertical uh, uh, columns, one of which is woke, but it doesn't matter, one or more of them, I was in all four of them. I was hypnotized and, and possessed and obsessed in one way, shape, or form with all four of those. You know, I read The Secret. I watched The Secret. Okay? I have a vision board. I keep it for sentimental value. I keep it to always remind me how close I came to becoming a black magician and manifesting my desires. So they're in hell, Kamal Manzuki. The fact that they don't know it is one of the reasons why I'm writing the book. So through some miracle, it can end up in their hands or a video that I make about it or an interview that I give about it and why I wrote wrote the book and from what perspective I'm writing the book and for whom I'm writing the book and why I'm writing the book. But if by some miracle that message can reach some of these people and and, and somehow we can help them out of hell Do they deserve to be in that hell? I don't know if they deserve it or don't, but they're in there. And anybody who's walking the path of the Bodhisattva walks the path of the Bodhisattva. The path of the Bodhisattva is about suffering and sacrifice for humanity. It is about descending into hell to save souls that are trapped there. Do they deserve to be trapped there or not deserve to be trapped there? We always go back to that lyric from Queen and David Bowie. For love's such an old-fashioned word, and love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. Or on the edge of the light. You know, I've heard I've heard it sung both ways. So if they're on the edge of the night or on the edge of the light, we are dared to care for those people on the edge. 
Do they deserve to be in hell? Well, you know, they're right on the edge. They're right on the edge. That means they're not beyond hope. They're not beyond help. And a bodhisattva goes into that hell and pays that price if for no other reason to negotiate with the lords of karma to be able to get those people out of hell. I'll pay some of their karma for them. That's what the bodhisattva does. That is how Master Jesus, Master Abramento, negotiated with the lords of karma to be able to change the laws of karma for this humanity on this planet through his crucifixion, through his suffering and sacrifice and his service to humanity and his descent into hell. This is how he was able to, to assist humanity and negotiate by making his tremendous sacrifice to be able to pay some of the karma for those on this planet so that some karma can be forgiven and other karma can be negotiated. Master Abramento made that possible through his life as Jesus and his, uh, and his suffering and sacrifice. So whenever we see people who are behaving in interminable ways or they are caught in some kind of movement, a dark movement, a dark cult, a, a, a false religion. They're following false teachings, false ideologies, right? We recognize they are in hell. They are asleep and they are possessed by those ideologies. They are possessed by that cult. They need our help. They need our compassion. They don't need our condemnation. That's not going to help them. And we don't need to, we don't need to wish them uh, to go to hell because they're already in hell. And if we're honest with ourselves, so are we. All of us are in hell. We're here on this planet during this planet's Kali Yuga. You can't get much, you can't get much more hellish a, an incarnation than that, than to go through a humanity's Kali Yuga. And, and to be honest, we ain't seen nothing yet. We ain't seen nothing yet. Which means the transformations of the transformation of impressions is going to become infinitely, infinitely more important and infinitely more practical. Because we ain't seen we we none of us really know suffering yet. We don't. Not in the West. None of us have really seen the kind of suffering which is on the horizon. Not really. We don't really know what's... And so to have the capacity and have the ability to comprehend and be able to transform impressions is absolutely essential, especially in the times that we're living in. As Azul says about being in hell, he says, uh, we were beyond that point, but somehow made it out. 
Yeah, ex okay, so he says some doors should never be opened, and it is thanks to the innermost that it became closed again. So many of us, uh, many of us have been down into hell and have come back out of hell. And the fact that we're, the Kali Yuga is, is progressing, we're going to continue this spiral expansion, right? On the Alm of Life, the hero's journey, going down into hell and coming up from hell and going down into hell and coming up from hell and coming down to hell and coming up from hell. It's just in this specific case that we're describing with the woke and the transhumanist and this and that, that was, and the new age, all of that happened in our life because it's part of our mission for us to be able to write this book and for us to be able to address these four pillars of false awakening. Mugaboo 22 says, it is hard uh, sometimes to be compassionate with some people, but then I guess if it was easy, everybody would be compassionate. Well, well said. Of course it's hard. Because to be compassionate for somebody else, you have to transform the impressions of anger, of frustration, of everything inside of you, of judgment, of condemnation, inside of yourself. And those voices in your head, they're loud. And those egos inside of us. And remember, we were talking about uh, on the, um, the live stream about uh, the human conditioned, right? You know, the ruts in the road that we were talking about. And you're riding a bicycle and the, the, the bicycle tire always wants to fall into the rut. And once the bicycle tire is in the rut, very hard to get the bicycle out of the rut once you're in the rut. That's the conditioning. And so and none of us, society doesn't condition us to be compassionate. We're conditioned to be sarcastic and judgmental and to condemn others, and so on. We, we're conditioned that way. Um, but loving your enemy is, is really the only viable option because hate is the antithesis of the being and the antithesis, the antithesis of love. God does not hate. God is incapable of hate. Hate is the mechanical antithesis. Hate is soullessness, heartlessness, godlessness. That's the only real evil in the world, is mechanicity, godlessness, lovelessness, lack of, lack of love. <clears throat> And so at, at worst, at worst, we can, be, we can feel an indifference. So for example, towards our egos, it is more than appropriate to feel indifferent to our egos. They are what they are. What they are. They're mechanical. They're programs. That's all they are. They're just executing their program. They have no heart. They have no soul. But ironically... Demons deserve more than uh, than um, our indifference because in many cases those demons in their heart is a fallen bodhisattva, is a fallen master. Or at the very least, there's a monad who's trapped 
inside of that demon. So there is an opportunity for uh, compassion and understanding there, even as we recognize that there's a mechanical monstrosity uh, imprisoning uh, a monad. As far as the uh, the Kaliuga is concerned, as Azil says, but this is how we know what's coming. We haven't seen a single grain of that desert yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, what what comes to mind is that scene from um, The Martian, The Martian movie where there's this... Um, sandstorm on mars that's coming and it wipes out the uh the 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 mission right um or you think about any type of sandstorm in the sahara desert or any desert and you see it off in the distance or was there a sandstorm in dune there must be one or if there if not yet there was one coming and and there's this this wall of this 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 it's a terrifying terrifying uh, uh, and, and devastating phenomenon. And that's really what Azazel is describing here is that we haven't seen one, one grain of sand yet from that storm. Well, in truth, he's right. We've seen the signs, the precursors that it's coming, but we really haven't, we really haven't experienced the storm hitting us. Not yet. Not yet. And Kamal Manzuki says, I've spent more of my efforts on people who already seem on the edge of the light because the worst of the worst are so exhausting to deal with. This is making me reconsider. Miracles happen. Miracles do happen. <clears throat> However, we can't afford to be naive. We must be respectful of our time, our energy, and we must be, be respectful of the wisdom and will of our innermost being which all comes into the picture of the expression, do not cast pearls before swine. There is such a thing as a lost cause. Right? There is, that's a very real phenomenon. There is such a thing as those who are hopelessly lost. Um, there's a line from it's some Western, but it's uh, it's also uh, invoked at the beginning of a Guns N' Roses song. Uh, the song is Civil War, and the line, the quote from the movie goes, um, Some men you just can't reach. 
So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. <laughs> I, I wish I knew what movie that was from, but that's the line. And and in the Guns N' Roses song, it's it's the song is called Civil War. And we almost feel like we've said enough. Like that's all we need to say. That not to put too fine a point on it, it would be a total and complete, utter waste of your time, your energy, your love, your compassion, which would which could potentially serve others who are receptive to it so much better than were you to, for example, make the mistake of trying to reach a psychopath. A psychopath is someone who's devoid of empathy, who's devoid of compassion. He's essentially a machine. A psychopath is essentially the biological equivalent of the T-1000 or the T-800 from term, like a Terminator or the Xenomorph from Alien. That's what a psychopath is. They, they simply, they, they do not care about anyone or anything other than the execution of whatever program is, is inside of them to execute. So if they're a serial killer, they, but you know, these serial killers always have these like idiosyncrasies, these weird things that they do and why they do them and you know it's but even though it's it was made as a satire uh that film american psycho with christian bale uh is one of the most haunting despite the fact that it was made as a dark comedy and a, and a, a satire um another way to understand it in macrocosm is think of the corporation or watch the documentary, The Corporation. It's a Canadian documentary. They analyze capitalism, so the, the phenomenon of the corporation, which is considered a person under the law. And what they do is they compare side by side the behavior of corporations with, uh, with a human being. And if a human being behaved the same way as the majority of corporations do in the world, the psychological evaluation that the human being would receive would be psychopath, psychotic, or no, psychopathic. And corporations are people legally, they're legal entities, they're persons under the law. And the way they behave in the world is psychotic, is psychopathic. Now this is what the, what the corporation is one of the uh, you know, it's one of those uh, films that uh, fueled my woke 
agenda, my, my whole, my whole um, um, uh, downward spiral into that whole rabbit hole of woke. But regardless, the facts are the facts, right? It doesn't change. No, but where I have evolved to and gotten out of that woke thing and just recognize is that I'm able to see now how corporations are simply projections of the human psychology. The, a psychopathic psychology. In other words, corporations are purely mechanical. They're machines. They're giant machines. We even call them big machines. The, 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 the corporate um, enterprise, the corporate machine, or the industry, or the industrial revolution. And now it's the digital age. Well, the digital age is just another machine, just a more sophisticated, complicated machine, but it's still a machine. So, always be very considerate when you consider the worst of the worst because um, it's a noble effort unless you're casting pearls before swine, unless you're you're dealing with a lost cause and you're banging your head up against a wall and you spend, you know, an exorbitant amount of time and effort and, you know, yourself fall into frustration or despair. You know, but discernment is the key. So if you meditate, you trust your intuition, trust your innermost being, and, and, um, and if you're developing discernment, you will know who is truly a lost cause and who isn't. And perhaps some have been given up uh, on by everybody else, and perhaps you're their last hope. And that's a possibility. But only discernment, only your innermost being can answer this question for you. But it's just important to be, to be aware that if there are individuals that you have not helped until now, just be sure that that um, and uh, Kamal Manzuki says part of it is feeling reluctance to find myself in their crosshairs. Uh, well, and that comes back to what we were saying earlier about uh, being the messenger, and that if you are trying to get a get something across to someone <clears throat> who doesn't want to hear it and wants nothing to do with it and nothing to do with the truth then yeah then you will have a huge target on your back once you become a threat to someone's comfort and security and you become a you become a target of their cognitive dissonance because you become the source and the cause of their cognitive dissonance, which is a tremendous amount of psychological discomfort. Now they might laugh it off. They might use ridicule and laughter to try to, uh, you know, dissipate and avoid the truth, which they often do. And they use, they, they will mock you and they will, they will start at that level. But if you persist with them, and if you start making sense, then 
um, if you become a credible threat, then then some will will take um, drastic measures to silence you. Now, I don't mean like necessarily that they will cause you physical harm, but in nowadays they don't have to. People can ruin other people's reputations and livelihoods and get them, it's, we call it cancel culture. And women can accuse men of doing heinous crimes and be automatically believed by the police and by the courts. And the man will be uh, guilty by suspicion. There will be no presumption of in- innocence. So depending on who and what you're dealing with, um, these are these are these are not things to be afraid of. These are things to be aware of. We have to go in with our eyes open, not because we're afraid, but because we recognize what the potential backlash and what the potential threats are. So know your enemy and know yourself. What are you willing to risk? What aren't you? And are and is this really the hill that you're meant to die on? Always think of that. It's a military expression, I know, but it has a very practical, meaningful purpose in our lives. Is this the hill that I'm meant to die on? And if the answer is no, I've got bigger fish to fry. I have to think of the larger, I have to think of winning the war, not just this battle, not just winning this battle, not just taking this hill. I've got to think about the bigger picture. Then um, then all of this comes into play. But again, it comes down to discernment. It comes down to discernment. Um, we were talking about the the people with the pent-up anger and frustration about their trips and so on. Um, Individuals who go through life with a lot of pent-up fear, anger, resentment, um, unprocessed emotions, unprocessed trauma, it was just mechanically went through the, the grinder, right? It was just stuff that went into the trash compactor. Um, and it was just now just ground up and tossed into the subconscious mind. Well, remember, when we talk about mind, we're not talking about the brain. We're not talking about any one part of the body, Right? The, the, the reptilian brain, this brain, that brain, the prefrontal cortex, blah, 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 blah. No, we have a mental body. We have a mental body. We have a body of mental energy. We have an emotional body, the astral body. The astral body, the mental body. We have a causal body, that's the body of willpower. And we have the vital body. It's the, the, the body of, of chi, the body of prana, of sexual energy. That's the foundation of the physical body. But really, the physical body is an amalgamation. It's, it's, it's a layered, 
multi-layered, multi-dimensional phenomenon. What that means is that our physical body has <clears throat> a shadow, protoplasmic reflection in the fourth dimension and in the fifth dimension and in the well, yeah, in the fifth dimension, in the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth dimension, but particularly we're talking about the fourth and the fifth here. Because the fifth dimension is both the mental plane and the astral plane. So the mental plane and the emotional plane, they constitute the fifth dimension. So the emotional body and the mental body. And then the vital body is the body of chi, prana, energy. When we talk about having these undigested negative emotions in our mind, in our subconscious mind, what we're talking about is these energetic patterns are playing themselves out in our lunar mental body. It's lunar because it's mechanical. And it's essentially in Klipoth because the lunar mental body and the lunar astral body make up the lunar fifth dimension or the lower fifth dimension, which is Klipoth, which is hell, our psychological hell. So when we have unprocessed, undigested emotions and mental patterns, beliefs, thoughts, traumas, and again, it's, 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 that's why the astral plane is both the mental body and emotional body. Constitute the astral body. Because we can't really separate psych, mind and heart. I mean, we, we can, but we can't. They're, they're intertwined, they're interconnected. And in the same way that our physical body has organs related to the filtering of toxins. So too, those same organs have their protoplasmic variants in our etheric body, our emotional body, and our mental body. So the kidneys, for example, which filter toxins out of the uh, plasma and, and other uh, the um, adrenal glands and the fluids in the body, the kidneys filter the body's fluids of toxins. And then it it routes those toxins through that, that filtration system it, through the bladder and then through the uh, urea and then out through the urine, for example. But the kidneys are the filters of that system, of that fluid system in the body. Likewise, the liver filters the blood of toxins. And for example, sugar, uh, when you have uh, too high um, 
when you have too high a uh, blood sugar level to spike in your glucose uh, levels in the blood, then what happens is many, many things happen. But one of the things that can happen is that if you can't produce, uh, if you're insulin resistant or you can't produce enough insulin to shuttle that uh, excess blood sugar into the into the fat stores, then what happens is that blood sugar gets processed in the liver and you end up with fatty liver disease, as an example. If the kidneys are overtaxed, then you can end up uh, with kidney disease and you end up with dialysis because one of the kidneys will shut down if they're overwhelmed by trying to, by trying to um, uh, filter too many toxins out of the body. Now we focus on kidney here and liver here for a reason. And that reason is because in the same way that they filter toxins in the physical body, so too does our emotional, in our, in our emotional body, the, the protoplasmic, uh, uh, kidneys and liver perform the same function, filtering toxins out of our emotional and mental body. But the digestive system, if we have not consciously chewed our food, if we just gulped everything down, or if we just put it through the meat grinder, and we now have all this this toxin. The 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 our our mental body and our emotional body has to be able to digest things individually, parsed apart. It can't digest this big big slurry of negativity because that's just this toxic sludge that's now floating about in our lunar astral and our lunar mental body. Now. The kidneys and the liver have to try to filter that toxicity. All of that negative energy, all that negativity, that that resentment, the grudges we bear, the traumas we carry, right? And then, and they get reflected in the fourth dimension in the etheric body through our nervous system. So that's why traumas very often we end up um, uh, traumatic uh, uh, experiences, unprocessed trauma gets uh, expressed physically in our physical body because of our nervous system, our twitchiness and our, our reactions, right? Because they're, they're fear reactions based on that trauma, unprocessed trauma or, or pain, right? We, we get pain, we get suffering with stiff this and stiff that. And we have like all kinds of problems in the body because the the physical the foundations of the physical body is the etheric body, the vital body. But mental patterns and emotional patterns, it's a more subtle energy, right? But what happens when a filter is filtering? stuff out you think of any filter now an air filter or a 
or a fil the filter in your vacuum cleaner or even the lint filter in your dryer, right? What happens if the filter is overwhelmed? It's, it's got all this stuff to filter and it's, and it can't be cleaned fast enough. It can't be flushed fast enough. The filter becomes clogged and it becomes saturated. And when you're talking about subtle energies, subtle energies, when they become clogged, when they become saturated, saturated, they become compressed. And when you take subtle energy, think about um, a very, like think about the water vapor that's in your room right now. You can't see it. There's water vapor there. But imagine condensing that through condensation, right? Through forced, uh, yeah, um, pressure or forcing it to, to, to condense in. Then it would become like mist and then a cloud. And then finally, through the process of condensation, it would, it would become liquid water. Like the steam in your bath, when it hits your mirror and it becomes water droplets, it becomes condensation on your mirror. When the energies, the negative energies in the lunar mental and lunar uh, astral body, they start to experience that condensation in these filters that are becoming clogged and they're becoming concentrated in that filter because the filter can't be flushed out fast enough because you have all these negative energies that's 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 that it's trying to filter out because this stuff wasn't digested properly so just imagine you, if your digestive system didn't work properly and you didn't chew your food properly just imagine all that food getting into your bloodstream or getting into your uh, your uh, adrenal glands in the body and now your your kidney and your liver are trying to filter out chunks of food. Imagine what kind of mess that would leave your kidney and your liver in if they were trying to do that. Something very similar is happening with undigested emotions, non-digested negativity. The, the mechanical droppings, the mechanical products, the junk food, the, the junk uh, products of the mechanical process of the lunar bodies. Well, now you have this sludge that you got to deal with. And as that sludge condenses and condenses, it achieves a level, a state, which drops down to the next level, that drops into the next body. So from the mental body and the emotional body, the, from the astral body, it comes down into the vital body. And now you have all this condensed negative energy in the vital body. But where? In the kidney, in the liver. And the vital body is the foundation of the physical body. So now in the vital body, the kidney and the liver, you have this energetic sludge that's, that's coming from, the, from within, from the inside out. Because it's coming from the higher body, the more subtle bodies. 
but now it's condensing, it's crystallizing in the vital body. What do you think happens? It accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. It still can't, it can't be flushed out fast enough than what it's accumulating because you're not transforming the impressions. So every day more shit gets, 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 gets uh, piled on there. And so it's a cascading breakdown. It's a cascading failure, right? From one node to another node to another node. And downstream, the problems accumulate and accumulate and accumulate until eventually all that negative energy, all that negative thoughts and emotions have now expressed in the vital body. And then the kidneys and the liver of the vital body get overwhelmed and all that energy gets condensed and condensed and condensed and condensed and condensed. It's got to go somewhere. It's got to express somehow. And it manifests in the physical plane. And we call that cancer. And it was kidney cancer that my mother was diagnosed with. But kidney or liver, right? These cancers are directly related to the failure to transform impressions. And many, many, we won't say all cancers because there are cancers that are caused by radiation. There's cancers that are caused by uh, environmental toxicity. But again, that toxicity is affecting the energetic bodies Right. And so again, it's about buildup of negative energy uh, toxicity in the vital body. And then it and then it 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 manifests in the physical body. So, but for example, in the case of breast cancer, we have a case where uh, women who they're dealing with negative energy and negative emotions in the heart, and they're not bringing love to the situation. So again, no transformation of impressions, a lack of love in the heart center and dishing out um, because through the breast, the breast is how women nurture their child. So the flow of energy through those areas if the heart is cold if the heart is closed and sealed off then the motherly nurturing energy comes through too hard too harsh too negative not not from not from a place of love from a place of mechanical efficiency from a rational place well again you have in the mammary glands that source of nutrition, that source of sustenance that becomes uh, infested and infected with that with mechanicity and th with, there's a lack of love, there's a lack of positive uh, energy to transmute and transform what that woman is dishing out to those that she is so-called responsible for. And so what happens is you get a lump, you get breast cancer. 
in one way, shape, or form, many, many, many types of cancers throughout the body. All you have to do is meditate on what part, what that body, what that part of the body does. In men, men suffer a great deal of colon cancer. Now, a lot of colon cancer can be attributed to the poor diet, the junk food, the toxins, all that, but a lot of the stuff that we eat, right? That we're eating poisons, and obviously they accumulate in the bowels and they accumulate in the colon, and you know, they they they, they cause problems. But equally, the colon is there to expel waste, to let go of garbage. What are we holding on to inside of ourselves? What are, the, what are the negative things, the grudges, the resentment, the things that we just can't let go of? What are the things that we are attached to that we can't let go of, that we're hoarding? We're hoarding psychologically. We're hoarding inside of us, but they're, they're dead weight. They're dead weight. They're waste. They're waste products. But we're 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 a tightwad, we're a tight ass. We hold on to them. What are we holding on to? Well, that which we're holding on to, which doesn't serve us, which is toxic, that can give us colon cancer. And you will find, you will note that whether it's leukemia or or whatever type of cancer that you look at. If you meditate on what is the function, where the what is the normal healthy function of that part of the body that has become cancerous, that has become, yeah, that is that has become cancerous, all you have to do is meditate on that and then meditate on what is the equivalent function in the vital, in the emotional, and in the mental plane. And you can arrive at the source, the cause of what's behind the cancer. And no amount of cancer treatment, it might be able to help you in the short term, get rid of, you know, whatever physical manifestations of the cancer. But over the long term, unless you get to the cause, the heart of the problem, the cause of the problem, which is in the emotional and mental bodies, and unless you learn to transform impressions so that you're not continually adding adding uh, fuel to the fire, well, that's why people, you know, cancer seem to go into remission, but then sometimes they come back, right? And people's, the cancer comes back with a vengeance. Because the energy will flow. Energy must flow. And if you block it off in one place... Well, the egos and the energy, it's, it's, it's going to find an alternative way to, uh, to express itself. <clears throat> and um, this is, it's so sad because many people um, think of themselves as very strong, as very stoic is very in control of themselves, in control of their emotions, and they and they take a lot of shit, 
and they take a lot of burden and they carry it all and they carry it all silently inside of themselves. And, uh, you know, we live in a universe of cause and effect. You can't do that. You can't go through life living that way and not expect to suffer the consequences. Right? We cannot afford to, as, um, as Azil says here, he says, res uh, resentment is interesting. Even the White Lodge seems to allow for resentments to, uh, to show. And he says, like, like uh, you don't have to like the truth, but that's just how it is. What is that resentment? I don't know. As are, are these two uh, comments linked, Azazel? You'll have to clarify this for me because I don't know. They came one after each other, and I don't know if they're uh, you mean the same thing. Um, I don't know if I can speak for the White Lodge as such. Uh, for ourselves, we're beyond resentment. So sometimes we we felt this very often reading some of the books of Master Samael and some of the the the, the lectures from Glorianne stuff. Sometimes um, severity can be interpreted as resentment. But it's not resentment. It's not resentment. No one in the White Lodge can possibly resent the Black Lodge. Because were it not for the Black Lodge, none of them would be Ascended Masters. Right? You can't climb three mountains if you don't have a mountain to climb. You can't play chess without an opponent. You can't resent your opponent if they beat you. I mean, you can. And I mean, in the moment, it's I guess it's natural in the moment to, to, to feel resentment that you, you were beaten. But the reality is, is that you can't resent your opponent for playing their best and for being there and being your opponent. Because if they got up and walked away, the game would end. You wouldn't be—you wouldn't have anyone to play with anymore. And then what? Then what would you do? Then you—you—you'd be nothing. You—you're going to play yourself. You can't do that. And the funny thing is, when they—they they talk about. The Black Lodge being God and so on. Well, when you, with the benefit of science fiction and the benefit of movies like The Matrix and The Terminator, and we like we like to include Alien because. Uh, H.R. Giger's vision of the xenomorph is that it's a biomechanical entity and it's parasitic in nature. That's the thing about the xenomorph is the most terrifying uh, movie monster ever imagined. 
because it plants a seed. It, for, it, it the the face hugger, right? It 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 puts you to sleep. It puts you in a coma, but it keeps you alive. And then it go it falls off, and it seems to go away. And then it born out of you is this this xenomorph this this like a terminator it's relentless it's heartless it's it's soulless but it's that added layer of the parasitic relationship between its host and its self-realization and how it puts the host to sleep and everything. It is the xenomorph in so many ways is this perfect allegory for ego. And in recognition of that, you know, or the Terminator series, or, you know, it's a robot, it's a machine. So in recognition of these through science fiction, and the personification, the, 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 the animation of these allegorical entities, they are evil because they are incapable of love. They're incapable of, of conscience, of empathy. In other words, an absence of God. Then you might argue that, but mechanicity and mechanical nature is still God. It's still part of God creation. Yes, absolutely. But it's like saying your physical body is not who you really are. It's a 3D spacesuit. You are in your body, but you are not your body. It's a vehicle, it's a vessel. In the same way, when you get in your automobile or you get into your boat or you get into onto that airplane, you need that vehicle to travel in the space that you're traveling, whether it's on a highway, whether it's on a boat, or whether it's in, in the air. You need that vehicle. But that vehicle is a machine. It's a machine. That's all it is. You can use a machine, and a machine is very useful. But if a machine were to have a mind of its own, and if that machine started to take over, that's the ultimate terror because that machine has no heart, it has no soul, it has no love, and it has no capacity for these things. So it is why we have that meme of the two natures of nature, divine nature and mechanical nature. And how the delineation of those two, that's what we call the kingdom. That's what we call Malkut. That's where the two natures of nature collide. And we have this phenomenon that uh, we refer to as um, 
we have the tension between the two. And the analogy that we use in our meme, if we could just pull it up here. Where is it? There it is. So you've seen this before. We've shown you this before. We have divine nature and we have mechanical nature. And we liken it, the analogy we use is atmospheric water and terrestrial water. And when you look at a pond or any surface water, we have something called surface tension. And surface tension is where the molecules that are in the liquid water are bunching up at the surface like penguins on the end of an ice flow before they jump in the water, right? So those, those molecules are bunching up here at the surface. They're trying to free themselves and become water vapor. And where they're bunched up at the surface, they're bunched up so close that they form this mesh and that mesh becomes that surface tension that water bugs and mosquitoes and whatnot can walk on. And that's, and egos fall into this category. They're just mechanical. They're just programs executing their, like AI, like that's why Terminator and these things, they, they just show us what, what that's like. Or, and then there's another one, Ultron, right? Ultron in, um, in uh, the Avengers, the Avengers Ultron. There's another one, another AI that decides, oh, well, you know, I know how to fix, I know how to fix the planet. You got to wipe out humanity. That's how you do it. And that's what eagles want to do. They, they, they want to wipe out humanity. That's their job in the Kali Yuga. But again, that's another, that's another topic. <clears throat> uh, what do I want to do here? Okay. All right, so we've passed the three-hour mark. I have a responsibility. I have to go and prepare some uh, dinner for my uh, elderly father. So he has to take some medicine around this time, and uh, he has to take it with food. So I'm going to ask you guys if you have any questions about transforming impressions or if you have any other comments or anything you'd like to share at this time, uh, please do so because we've only got a few minutes and then we're going to have to bow out today. We hope that this was helpful. <clears throat> and, um, and we hope you recognize by our, uh, by the relationship with, with cancer and understanding uh, how important the transformation of impressions, the conscious digestion of our experience is. And how we cannot just rely on uh, our mechanicity to do that digestion for us. Because of the uh, potential catastrophic results of that. So... Um, you know, 
we've cancer has touched uh, the lives of many people we know, and it's you know they anyone who uh, is suffering from it has to do what they have to do. Just like my mom went through whatever treatment that she went through. Um, but you know, I had other family members who who went through it now. They went through some treatment and the treatment appeared to be very positive, but you know, well, it remains to be seen if she made the requisite psychological changes that are um, that are needed. Um, the point is that you have to ask yourself why if the new age is so concerned about people's lives and spirituality and wellness and healing why do they not talk about this? And why is their version of it thinking positive, positive thinking, positive thoughts, and higher vibrations, and raise your vibrations? worthwhile question to ask it's one that we not only ask but we answer in our upcoming book Kamal Manzuki says I'm good I have something to express but the plan is to leave it as an addendum and Kamal Manzuki says I can share that this discussion was well timed for things that I've been dealing with in my own experience Benjamin says uh, Magabu says uh, no questions for me. Thanks for your insightful teachings. At this point, I am patiently waiting for your back for you, for your book. And Benjamin says thank you for today's live stream. Transforming impressions through our conscious being is such a timely topic to discuss. Uh, it's timely uh, for everyone that found this timely and serendipitous. Uh, it warms our heart to hear that. Rest assured that it was timely and serendipitous in our lives and the lives of others, uh, of our, of our own friends as well. It's, it's not by accident that this, this topic came around today. And it wasn't just because of the dinner conversation that we, that was happening or because of my, uh, because of my, um, uh, uh, paper cut, uh, that I got from my yogurt container. <laughs> but, but you see, this is, everything happens for a reason. Right. And if, and if I have to suffer like the, the paper cuts on my fingers, that's nothing. I'm more than happy to do that. If, if, it, if it got me to the, this point where I was sharing with you information that you needed to hear, right. Then it's worth it. Right. It's worth it. It's worth it. And if, if that's what it took. Um, but if people need to hear this, then that warms my heart because I only wish that my, uh, you know, that my mother, you know, could have had access to it, you know, 35 years ago, right? When she was in her forties and she had the ability to change she had, you know, because by the time, you know, she was diagnosed with cancer, she was in her seventies and it was too, it was just too late for her. It was too late. 
her body and everything she had just run out and um so our hope is that you know for all of you and all of your loved ones and and anyone that you know that that has been diagnosed or or is or suffering through various illnesses then by all means share this with them or 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 you know uh or put it in your own words right and 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 help them comprehend what cancer really is and where it really comes from because a lot of people they're baffled they don't understand it. it's not fair i don't know where this comes from i take good care of myself i don't eat junk food i don't use toxins i only use natural products and so on and so on and so on and boom and but still i have kidney cancer i have liver cancer i have this cancer i have breast cancer i have that cancer i have brain cancer i have whatever it is and just they don't know where it comes from it's because they don't know themselves they haven't transformed their they haven't digested their experience it's so important so important benjamin says awesome he says uh see you later atlas thank you benjamin for coming and all of you thank you for being here um we're going to now uh we've taken a few questions so hopefully everybody wanted to say what they needed to say or ask and we hope to see you again next week and um until then take care and as always right inferential peace and uh have a wonderful week.